Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Morning, Way Church. My name is Tony Gilman. I um, serve with the worship team, and I also help with the men's group. So good morning to everybody. Um, I'll be reading from, as Josh said, the book of Acts, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Amen. This is the word of God. Father, we thank you for bringing us together this morning. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we just ask that you lead us and guide us by your spirit and your word to worship you rightly. We thank you, Father. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, you may have a seat. Thank you, Tony. As Tony said, we'll be in Acts 6. So I invite you to grab your Bibles or... We'll be in verses 1 through 4 primarily as we continue the series called Moment to Movement. And obviously we're talking about these different moments that led to significant movements in the life of a church. But I know we all, if we reflect on our own lives, there's been moments that led to movements. I think about my own life, the significant moment happened 23 years ago when I came to faith in Christ. There's no way before that I ever thought I'd be standing here before you, right? There's no way before that I'd stand here before you, not only part of this faith family, but being married with seven kids, right? Wasn't even on the radar. But there's a moment that less significant movements in my life, and I know that's your story as well. And so we see that throughout the early church, and over the past several weeks, we've seen moments that led to movements. And this morning, we'll see yet another one out of Acts chapter 6. So if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Priority of God's Word. The Priority of of God's word. And what we see here is what we've seen the last several weeks. We see in verse 1. It said, In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number. Let me just pause there. Because as we've seen the past few weeks, there has been several significant moments that led to this explosive disciple-making movement that we know as a church. And we know this would happen, will continue to happen. This is a the reassurance that we have, even 2,000 years later, that Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, will not overpower it. And it hasn't happened. It's interesting that, you know, football season is upon us, and if you look out in the, the stands at usually a football game, usually there'll be some kind of sign that has a D and an offense, right? D and an offense, and a a member of my family that will remain unknown or unnamed saw that one year and said, D-gate? What is D-gate? Glad you asked. That's funny. But it's, it's a reminder that gates or fences don't attack anything, right? And so as Jesus would build his church, the gates of Hades will not overcome it, meaning the devil is on the defense, I think we forget this, that the church is advancing. The church globally, that's individual Christians, have power because of Christ Jesus to overcome Satan and his schemes. And the church locally, 
collectively has power that comes from Christ because we are his church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it, overcome it. No matter what happens. And this is what we see in the early church. There's a lot of things that happened that the schemes of the devil was coming against the local church. This church that grew from about 120 gathered in a room was now several thousand, some say maybe tens of thousands of people at this point in Acts 6. And there have many, been many schemes of the enemy trying to prevent the church from going or growing numerically and going as disciples. We see in Acts chapter 4, there was persecution that broke out specifically for proclaiming Jesus and his resurrection. But it's, it's interesting, as, as people, I think we know this, as people share the experiences of difficulties together, there's a deep bond and connection that's formed. I think about, as many of you know, my previous life, I was in the Air Force, and we go through Air Force basic training for a period of six weeks. And there's a bond that develops amongst us trainees in the Air Force. First, a bond of hatred towards the instructors, right? Because just, man, they're so persecuting us. Like, they, they hate us. It's evident. So we commonly all hate them back. But there's a bond that's formed as we serve and bear the grind of difficult experiences together through that course. And there's a bond, nothing like it. I think we know this in experiences. When you go through things together, difficult experiences together, there's a bond that forms that something God does in our lives. And it's what we see in the early church is that this bond was formed during this persecution in Acts 4. And they said when they were released from jail, they were told, don't proclaim the name of Jesus anymore. And so what they did, they go back to this prayer meeting that was happening. And in this prayer meeting, they prayed to the Lord not for protection, but to proclaim God's word more boldly. And the outcome we see in Acts 4, 31, it says, When they prayed, the place where they were simple were shaken, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they said, and they began to speak the word of God more boldly. And so we see... This scheme, this attack from the enemy, didn't stop the church in Acts 4. Then we come to Acts 5. We see this dishonesty in the church that threatened disunity. There's a married couple, Ananias and Sapphira. And the church was giving. And we saw the church was thriving and giving and caring for one another. And so they came to lay their offering down at the apostles' feet, but lied about how much was in there. Seemingly wanted to be publicly generous, but privately selfish. Keeping a portion for themselves. And it's almost like they desired the spotlight without sacrifice. Maybe say comfort without commitment. This is a good just reminder for us. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, which we quote every single week. God loves a generous giver. Generosity in giving is a heart posture position before the Lord. This is, it comes from you loving the Lord and trusting him. And so that flows out of what do you love him with and trust him with? Your heart, your soul, mind, strength, and everything that's in you and that you have. And so generosity comes from the heart posture position. And obviously they, keeping a, a portion back, lying about how much they gave. And sometimes you see in scripture just some dramatic, significant outcomes in people's lives. And swift judgment, that's what happens here. Both Ananias and Sapphira died as a direct result of their dishonesty. Now, don't walk away from here saying, Josh said, if I lie, I'm going to die, right? That's not what I'm saying. 
But I am saying it happened once. Watch it. No, I'm saying I'm not. I'm not saying that. Take it easy. But even the outcome here of this significant event that the enemy tried to distract and destroy the local church, the outcome in Acts 5.14 says believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. And you see the church still growing and thriving in the midst of navigating all the difficulties. Which brings us to Acts 6, yet another attack from the enemy against the church. So it goes back to Acts 6, we saw in verse 1. They're increasing in number, continuing in verse 1. It says, there arose a complaint. Now, we know that doesn't happen in church, but there it did, right? There arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being neglected, overlooked in the daily distribution. And so it may be hard to believe that conflicts happen in the church, right? It's hard to believe, but it does in other churches. Praise God we're perfect here. Amen. But the question goes, what happens when difficulties arise in the church? What do we do? What do we do when problems pop up? Do we walk away or do we work to remedy it? And it's interesting. I hear so many people, not necessarily here, but just throughout years being in ministry and church. and People are just looking for the perfect church. And I always hear about how the church is full of hypocrites and different things and I always have to come back of, yeah, you're right, we're all a bunch of hypocrites because we're all still sinners, but we've been saved and are growing in our relationship with Christ, so we're still going to fall short of your expectations. Sorry, that happens. But we're looking for the perfect church. Let me just encourage you, if you happen to have that mindset of, hey, I'm just looking for the perfect church, I wonder if this is it. First of all, this isn't it. This is not the perfect church. And two, let me lovingly graciously say that you will never find the perfect church because you're there. Can I say that? Listen, we all fall short of the glory of God. We all sin, and so we all are doing this thing together, but by God's strength and focusing on him to him provide, him protect, him sustain us together, we have a unity that's Christ that's unbreakable, but we have to return to that often. So we see that they're working towards just fighting for unity and fighting against division. And so again, we see some tensions here, and tensions that we may not know the background, but this, this cultural t- tensions that existed in these two groups seem to be creeping into the church, causing contentions among these Christians. And so we got these Hellenistic Jews, real quick. They're Greek-speaking, Greek-influenced, most likely minority group, not native to Israel being neglected by the Hebraic Jews who are Aramaic-speaking native to Israel. So you got this tension already culturally that's crept into the church. They're being neglected in the daily distribution. That could have been food, could have been money, probably both and, taking care of the widows. And so let me just pause there because, man, there's, there's two cautions I want to bring us awareness to. Number one, as a local church, we need to combat any anti-Christian cultural concepts from creeping into this church. We need to combat any anti-Christian cultural concepts from creeping into the church. Let me ask you this. What are some cultural concepts that may be anti-Christian coming up or even right now that can be threatening to creep into the church? There's one that's on my mind. 
It's a big one. It's political season. Do you guys know that? And man, politics are not bad. Voting is a good thing. It's a freedom. It's a right. Take advantage of it. But we're the ones that make it bad. We elevate it higher than Christ. And then if anyone disagrees with you, now they're the enemy, even though they're a fellow brother and sister in Christ. Church, this isn't good. I'm not saying this, that it's happening here, but I'm saying this, this has the potential to happen here. And churches have been split over the last several years because of politics. I mean, quite frankly, are you kidding me? So I say that as a caution. This has the potential to creep into the church and to divide it. And that's what the enemy does. Divides, it's a combat strategy. Divide and conquer. We have to fight for unity. So just be aware. I'm just mentioning one. There's so many others out there that you know of. Weigh those lightly. Fight for unity. Because we're in this together. We have the most common, most powerful commonality. That's Christ. So number one, we're just combating anti-Christian cultural concepts. Number two, we have to fight against favoritism. Now notice I'm using words intentionally. Combat and fight because it takes intentionality. Passivity will never get us here. So we have to fight against favoritism. When I talk about favoritism, I also mean discrimination. Two sides of the same coin. One just says you're suppressing one, elevating another. One says you're elevating one while suppressing another. Same thing. And this is huge because Romans 2.11 says there's no favoritism with God. Well, if there's no favoritism with God, there shouldn't be with God's people either. Which James 2 verse 1 says, do not show favoritism. Galatians 3 says we are all one because of who Christ is. We're all sinners in need of a Savior, and so we all have this common ground no matter where you come from. Man, some of you came to Jesus, and you're basically had a halo around your head already, this perfect life, right? Praise God for his grace in your life and bringing you to him with relatively no hardships. Others, quite frankly, came to Jesus with a little bit of smoke on you still, right? Like walking the skirts of hell as you go. But Jesus grabbed you and rescued you. And now we're all one in Christ Jesus. They say the ground is level at the foot of the cross. This is huge because your background and your baggage do not define you. In Christ Jesus, you're no longer the person you used to be. You made made new. This is huge. And so you see there's no favoritism. There shouldn't be. We should be combating anti-Christian cultural concepts. And this is what leads to this neglection in Acts 6. And this Acts 6 neglection has real potential to cause deep division and really destruction of the church if not handled correctly. And really, when I look at this, just reminded, isn't it just opposite of what Jesus commanded? Like, if you see this, this neglection, if you see what even happens in our churches today, I mean, so many things that happen, do they happen from a love for God? Because if you really love the Lord, then you're going to love people. And Jesus gave us the command that everyone will know that we're his disciples by our love. So I'm wondering, 
What do people think outside the church about the church? They say those are a loving, caring, generous, gracious, merciful people. I want a part of that. Or they see something else. So there's great magnitude of what's happening here in urgency in Acts 6. So it leads the question, like, what will the apostles do? They have this issue come up. What are they going to do about it? And it seems at a glance, the answer looks like almost nothing. Seems like they're not really doing anything about it. Look at verse 2. It says, The twelve summoned the whole company of disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching of the word of God to wait on tables. It's interesting. A quick read on that. It seems to lead the appearance of the apostles being callous and uncaring. Like, for some reason, this ministry was below them. But in reality, the opposite is true. It's a reminder that, again, the church was exploding in numbers. Thousands upon thousands, and the only leadership structure that we know of is 12 apostles. There's going to be problems. And there, there was problems. Undoubtedly, they had been... They're being overcome by the needs of the church. And so what they were saying is that it was not that they were neglecting the physical needs of the church, but it seems like the physical needs was leading to a neglecting of the preaching ministry of God's word. Do you see the difference? They weren't neglecting these needs, but it seems like these needs were starting to cause a neglect for the preaching of the word of God. And so this was a stake in the ground moment. And they, they, they take this stake in the ground moment and make this statement what we see in Acts 6.4. We will devote ourselves to prayer and ministry of the word. And just to be clear, it's not supporting some kind of superiority, but is pointing to a clear priority. And we know this when it comes to God's word, the primacy of the preaching or proclaiming of God's word for the spiritual prosperity of God's people, is all throughout the pages of Scripture and all throughout history, God's Word being proclaimed. I mean, in the beginning, the creative order, Genesis 1, how everything came to being, there was dark. In Genesis 1, 3, God said, right? God said, let there be light, and there was light. Nehemiah, you got the Israelites were dispersed and exiled, and Nehemiah God leads Nehemiah to rebuild the walls that were crushed and destroyed of Jerusalem. Rebuild them. And the first thing to do in Nehemiah 8, the walls were built. The exiles had come back. Nehemiah 8, 8, gathered together and says they read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. The preaching, proclaiming of God's word. Matthew 3, you see John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness. Mark 1, you see Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, and then him and his disciples go throughout the villages to preach. This proclaiming and preaching God's word is all throughout the pages of Scripture. We saw in Acts 2 several weeks ago, the Holy Spirit's poured out, and the first thing that Peter does is proclaim or preach. We see in 2 Timothy 4, 2, that Paul writes to this letter to Timothy, this young pastoral leader, to preach the word. And in Romans 10, we know the power of God's word because how do people come to faith? 
Acts 10, 14 says, How can they, being those who don't believe, how can they call on him who have they not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And this is not saying Pastor Josh. Understand that? This is a, a responsibility I have. It's not who I am. This is all of Christians are called to proclaim, to preach. And we know there's weight in God's word, and we know God's word is working. In Isaiah 55, 11, God says, My word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty. Hebrews 4.13 says, For the word of God is living and effective. And I'm going somewhere with this. The priority of God's word has to have primacy in our lives. Let me give you three different ways. The preaching of God's word has to have primacy or priority in our lives as individual believers. Psalm 1 says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway of sinners, or sit in the company of markers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams and bears fruit in its seasons, and his leaves do not wither. Whatever he does prospers. And so you see this thriving and growing and that comes from knowing, meditating on God's word. God's word. So individually, we need to be saturated in God's word daily. I mean, it's great Sunday mornings for 30 to 180 minutes, however long Pastor Josh preaches for. But we need God's word. And so individually, we need God's word. And as family units, we need to be saturated in God's word. Husbands, for you those that are blessed to be married, Ephesians 5, 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy. And it says this, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. So husbands, how are you leading your wives in God's word? Are you speaking it over? Are you praying? Are you helping her to just lean into the word of God? This is your responsibility as husbands. And those who are single in here, men, you need to go back to number one and make sure you're spending time in God's word because one day if the Lord provides, you'll be married. And your responsibility will be before God to lead your wife well, loving her as life loved the church and making her holy, washing her by the word. Single ladies, this needs to be your standard, the non-negotiable of that man you're dating. If he doesn't love the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and is not spending his own time in the word and leading you to spend time with him in his word, then he's not the right guy. You can write that down. I stand that statement. In Ephesians 6, to take a step further, we're talking about families, fathers. And men, the Bible comes down very hard on you because God has a high expectation for men. Not that he does it for women, but men... It starts with you. It says, fathers, do not stir up anger in your children. Now, it doesn't say you can't frustrate them a little bit, okay? I think that's a privilege I have with a father. My kids bring this up all the time. It says, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So let me ask you this. Who's teaching your children? 
Is it Luke Johnson for an hour he has each week with them? Is our kids' ministry team for the hour to three hours, depending on how long we're here? Who's teaching your children? So we need to just saturate our lives individually, family, in God's word. Then obviously it comes to the local church. And what the apostles knew, which we need to be reminded of, that neglecting of the ministry of the word will be the complete undoing of the local church. And we see it happening now. We see people who, churches that are neglecting the word of God and giving good TED Talks. They may be growing in their attendance at some level, but they're decreasing in their devotion to Christ. Or churches that have just forsaken God's word and let the culture sleep creep in. A lot of them are decreasing in attendance, but increasing in their devotion to the culture. We have to be devoted to the Lord and his word. The preaching ministry has to have primacy and priority in all aspects of our lives, individually, family, and as a local church. It matters, and this is what they were saying it really is Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. And let that be said of our church, that the word of Christ dwells richly among us because we need the word of Christ individually in our families and as a local church because we cannot do anything apart from him and his word. And disciples knew this. And so what did they do? They had this members meeting of sorts, right? They brought the church together and say, select from among you Men of good reputation, full of Holy Spirit, wisdom, and wisdom who we can appoint to this duty. Notice what they did not say. They did not say, go and find anyone who is able. Go and find anyone who is willing. Go find anybody who is breathing, right? Like, isn't that what we do? We see a need, like, anybody can fill that, do that, right? Oh, did you say the word kids? Kids ministry, Right? Like anybody, go back there. But notice that's not what they said. They have a strict requirements for those who are going to be leading out in this ministry. Full of the Holy Spirit. Good reputation. Wisdom. This is huge. And know the church was active in this. The church was acting and helping the apostles appoint a few qualified men to wait on tables. And it's interesting, this word wait in Greek is the diakonian. The same thing as the word for serving the word of God is diakonia. Why does that matter? That's what you're asking right now. Like, oh, that, that's great, Josh. It matters a whole lot because what we start seeing is this servant leadership position that's being developed here is really a foreshadowing of what would come as the church would expand, which we'll get to in a minute, of the deacon. That's where we get the word deacon, diakonia. Deacon, servant, leading service. And so the church was active in helping this process so the apostles can devote themselves to the ministry serving of the word of God. And know that this moment of appointing these leading servants directly led to this movement that we see come next. One, the healing and overall health of the church. Two, the apostles being devoted to the ministry of the word. Three, the word of God spreading through both the apostles and consequently through the disciples. And four, many others coming to faith and obedience to Jesus. This is huge. This is a huge moment in life in the church. This is what we see in, in verse 7 of Acts 6. 
So the word of God spread, and disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is huge. It's a huge moment, and to neglect the neglection would have been disaster from the church. But the leadership took decisive action. The church took decisive action collectively, and they selected men. And it's interesting. I wasn't going to go here, but I think it's interesting that they selected these men to this task. And if you look at the names of the men, so the people that are being overlooked were the Greek culture Christians, Hellenistic. Every one of the names that they appointed to this task to meet this need were Greek names. It wasn't in the qualification list, but it was a good move. Because who else would be invested in that ministry in the way it needed to be? This church came together, fueled by the Holy Spirit, a focus on Christ and his people, made great decisions collectively under sound leadership. So as the early church continued to grow numerically and expand globally, you would see leadership structures begin to shift. That's why it impacts us so greatly. What happened 2,000 years ago in the early church once a reminder what to be active and proactive against for the sake and health of the church and what to prioritize and how to care well from one another. But we also see these leadership structures start taking place. And so you see the shepherding structure of the pastoral leadership would shift from apostles to pastors. Really, in the scripture, you see elders, overseers, which is all synonymous, what we now call pastors because of the shepherding ministry. And these servant leaders roles you see shift to the positions of, of deacon in scripture. And so if you're looking around our local church, we've existed now for three and a half years. By God's grace, he's done amazing things and developed amazing leadership structures. But we see local church is called to be a plurality of elders. Every time you see elder use, it's in the plural sense. So we should be asking, if we're looking biblically, if we want to be a biblically sound church, where's the plurality? Josh, you're flying solo. Right? I mean, it's true. And for the sake and health of this church, we need to multiply our leadership structure. And by God's grace, we have some men who, as 1 Timothy 3.1 says, aspire for the office of elder, overseer. And so we have this training process that men are going through. We have a resonating structure that we've built. We have these things that God's working in and through. But I'm convinced we have a few men who are aspiring for a greater level of responsibility in ministry, potentially elders, pastors of this church, but I know there's men in this room and a part of this local church that should be taking steps for greater responsibility in ministry. Whether it's in your home, for sure. But within the local church, there are some gifted men by God's grace that should and could be taking that next step of God. I don't know what it looks like, but use me. I just wonder what that would look like. But it's clear as they appointed these positions and as the church would go on eventually to appoint elders, overseers, pastors, and deacons, there was a clear evaluation that must take place. And we'll talk about that another time more, what the evaluation is. But it should lead us to begin to evaluate ourselves in a healthy way. It's your life 
worth imitating. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Like, think about this. Is our life individually worth imitating? Are we following Christ and showing him to those around us? Let me ask you this. Do you have a life devoted to God's word and prayer? If someone were to look at your life and just look at your schedule and the things you do each and every day, would they say, that is a man, that's a woman that's devoted their life to the word of God and to prayer? And lastly, does your life show your love for God and God's love through you to those around you? Even on Monday morning. Like, think about these things. Are we people of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom? Would that be said of you? Man, when I look at just that short list, I desire that to be said of me. So as we just close this time together, we see a couple encouragements how we are to rally as the church of Christ to be unified and go back to God's word for directing guidance wisdom to be praying church together. We also see that appointment of leaders matters, but who you appoint matters even more than the number of leaders qualified by Scripture leaders. And we'll be talking about that more in the weeks and months to come. But then as we look at these qualifications, just asking the Holy Spirit just to sink in our hearts, like, am I living a life worth imitating? Am I really devoted to loving you and loving others and to spend time in prayer and in your word? It's just a reminder who God is. And so for those who maybe, man, you've just drifted and you're following Jesus but having a hard time and gone through some difficult circumstances, or for others in here that, man, I just I don't know about this whole faith thing. I just don't get it. I'm encouraging you to consider Christ. Like, there is a God who loved you. Romans 5 says, but God loves his, proves his love, and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. This means that you and everyone else was created in God's image for the purpose of having a relationship with him, yet we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. But God did not leave you in the muck, in the mire of your own helpless sinfulness. He looked at you and loved you and gave himself for you. Jesus lived the perfect life that you couldn't live, died the death that we deserved, so that everyone who believes in him has eternal life. Like, this is the good news of the gospel. And so my plea for you is just consider Christ. Like, consider God's love for you. And you may not know all the complexities and intricacies of every doctrine of the Bible you know enough, say, man, I've sinned and fall short. I've messed up, but God is good. And he loved me so much that he gave himself so that I could live with him. Starting at the moment now, the moment you believe. For God loved the world in this way that he gave his only begotten son, his only son, so that everyone who believes him has eternal life. That's everyone. So I don't know what you've been through, going through, it doesn't matter. God's love been poured out through Christ Jesus so everyone that comes to him has eternal life. 
And for those that come to him, remind yourself that you're a child of God. And so as we talk about, is my life worth imitating? I mean, it's a high bar to follow Christ. And so there you could be, hear the whispers from Satan, like, man, I've done this. And I yelled at my kids this morning in the parking lot even before we came in here. And, you know, I talked to my wife this way last night and all these different things, which obviously are not good. But God's so gracious in showing you those things that we have growth areas. We haven't arrived yet. At least I haven't arrived yet. I have not reached perfection. And dare I say, I won't. But man, I'm striving after Christ. And so that's what I'm asking you, to strive after Christ. Strive after Jesus. Press into Jesus. Spend more time with Jesus. Because more time and pressing in you do to Jesus, guess what's going to happen? You start looking more and more like Jesus. This is what we do. The people, the company that you keep, you start acting like the company you keep. So why don't we keep more of Christ? This is what we're going to do. We're just going to, like we do every week, we're going to respond. I'm going to invite our worship team back up, and they're going to lead us into one last response song. But take this opportunity. Just respond to what God's doing in your life. We covered a lot of ground a lot of different ways this morning, but the Word of God is living and effective. And so I know it's living and effective, and those, by His Spirit, it's sinking deep into it this moment. So I'm just asking you what God's doing in your own life. And so I'm going to ask you just to respond to the Holy Spirit's pricking at your heart. Man, maybe you just have felt a little disconnect in Christ. Man, you, you've come to faith, and, but things have happened, and you just feel a little bit off. It's just time to just come back and rest in the grace of God. Remember how much there's a God who loves you and gave himself for you. And maybe you're struggling with some decisions of how to even lead your family well. How to lead your kids well. I don't feel equipped. I don't know what to do. This local church is here to walk alongside you as a husband, as a father, as a mom, as a wife, to help you grow in your relationship with Christ and grow in leading and loving your family well. You're not in this alone, nor were you meant to be. So maybe your next step is just praying through God, need guidance, direction, and wisdom, and then reach out to this church for resources, for help, for guidance. Another brother or sister in the room. Man, you're not alone. I don't know what God's laying in your heart, but I'm just asking you to respond. And so what we're going to do, I'm going to pray for us. And now we'd love to allow space just for you to respond. That could just be praying right in your seats. As we sing, maybe you sit there praying. Maybe you gather with a couple around you and just pray together. For others, your response will be singing and praising and glorifying God because he's worthy of it. But I want to give space and freedom to you to respond to what God's doing. We'll have a prayer team to the side. And if you have questions or just want prayer or doubts or whatever's on your heart, let us pray for you, talk with you, lead, lead life with you through all these things. Just respond. Again, you're not in this alone, nor were you meant to be. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning, Father. We thank you for just how good you are, Lord. Help us not to miss how amazing it is to be able to communicate with the God of the universe. Help us not to miss how much you love us. Even when we did our own thing, went our own way, even when we ran from you and are running from you, help us not to miss how much you love us and are drawing us to yourself, back to yourself, Father. Help us not to miss just 
the opportunity is just to rest. You call us just to rest in you, to be still and know that you're God. And help us just do that. Remind ourselves no matter what's going on, that you are still God. And you have not changed, nor will you. Lord, lead us in response. Help us just to draw closer to you. Help us to fix our eyes on you, Father. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you just fill this place with your presence, fill our hearts with your comfort, your peace, your reassurance. We thank you for being with us and your promise is that you'll never leave us. We thank you for Jesus. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.